Rebecca. And I'm Lindsay. And this is episode 20 of Ningyo Bingo. Where you keep collecting dolls. But never seem to win the game. And uh, today we have one more wonderful, wonderful person with us, which is Professor Darren Ashmore, who has a doctorate in anthropology with a specialization in Japanese language and art from the University of Sheffield, England. Hello, hello. Hey, yo. So, uh, as, as fun as the last month's episode was, uh, this was the episode that I originally wanted to definitely talk about uh, with Darren because it's something he's had the uh, wonderful experience of experiencing. Uh, I'm, my English is starting to fail me. It's, uh, it's only 7.30 p.m. It's getting close to a Becca bedtime right now, but... It's, or a soldier on. Well, it's not so much that, so much as I've worked the past five, ten. Oh, are you at the end of your end of your uh, period of work? Or there's a word for the thing. Uh, well, let's see. Five, ten, twelve, thirteen. I'm on thirteen days of work straight. Oh my goodness, Becca. Um, I'm Please also... tell me you have off tomorrow. No, I'm working tomorrow, and then I'm working the next five days, and then I have off. Or more than one day, hopefully. <laughs> Um, two days. I have two days off. Becca. Well, hopefully we'll make this conversation a good one to give you something to keep you going through the it's, week. It's that sweet, sweet overtime that I want and I need, just in case, you know, they go, yes, we now have a, a due date for 2B. This is where you put your down payment. Yeah, it's very important to have that down yeah. payment ready. Basically that, because cause, uh, the holidays ate all my money that would have possibly went to that <laughs> But today we're talking about something a bit more essential to the doll hobby. Yes. Something I'm, I'm also very excited to hear um, an insider's view on. Yes. So um, Darren had the opportunity to be in Japan and work with a company during uh, around what time period, Darren? Uh, 2000 to 2002 was when I was down at Sandomir at Volks. Um, and... Uh, he was actually able to partake in uh, and view the creation sculpting process of creating the dolls. And he's actually able to speak to how the process worked at that time. And it's interesting because it's interesting and important to preserve this because as we get further into um, the future, ha ha ha, uh, more and more people like on our... Um, our Ringdoll uh, interview, we're mentioning that even Ringdoll was working partially in traditional mediums, but was also working with uh, 3D sculpting programs. So obviously at this time period, where Darren was in, in Japan, um, well, he's still in Japan. When he was in Japan working with Volks, mm -hmm. this would not have been a case. So you would have seen a very different process than what they might even be using today for some of their things. Yes. So that's what we're very excited to share with all the listeners here today. Um, so, so let's start at the beginning. Um, assuming that there, there is not a, a, a body available and we're starting from scratch, wh where does creating a new doll start? The first one I, the first one I saw was that was the original Megu. The, wow. the sculptors originally began with a wooden framework around which a sort of paper clay, which is, well, 
exactly as it sounds, clay impregnated with paper, was formed. They used that because it didn't shrink during the drying process. And it's very common in Japan, has been, been common for, for centuries. Once this, once each part had been made in clay, it would then be dipped into, I think it was wax, surrounded with a plaster of Paris to create a sort of negative mould in silicon. And that two-part mould would then be the the shell from which the actual two-part resin doll parts would be taken. It really is that simple. Though you said a few things here, which I think bear um, expanding Sorry. upon. Um, so this, this um, paper clay that you mentioned, that you said is very common in Japan, uh, where else would you find this? What other hobbies and for what purposes? In Japan or outside Japan? Uh, in Japan, because of the context. Uh, it's very common with, with children because it's, it, it stays pliable for a long time. It's usable as a modeling medium. I, for example, mm. use it to create, say, Zimmerit sheets for tanks or, or details for dioramas. Anything, you can use it for anything for which you would need some sort of malleable base to create a solid object. I've seen people roll it out into sheets and make buildings from it. I've seen people turn it, you know, turn it into bowls and even fire it because it is fundamentally clay. It is just a versatile, versatile thing. One of the things I understand about paper clay as well is like once it's dried, it's not the end of the adventure with it. You can still sand and carve into it. Absolutely. Un unless Until you fired it, it's, it's like a sort of bisque, but softer. Right. And you said firing wasn't actually part of the process, which makes sense because it had a wooden interior at the time. Um, so, uh, that they, it was still fairly soft when they were trying to coat it in the, uh, the wax. So it would have the wax almost act, acted as a sort of release agent for the, uh, for the piece, right? Yes. Uh, it, wax or oil or anything that would help the, 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 the part separate from the silicon mold, which was then poured in around it. When um, this part of the process was done, I can only imagine that the original sculpture was somewhat lost in the process. Uh, sadly, off that is often the case. Which, as uh... a as a consequence, the first piece the first pieces cast will be set aside as a sort of reference because from those pieces, new molds can be made because made because they will be the exact size and shape of the original mold tool right right which uh, because of course over time as the mold is used over and over there's degradation of the details inside and sh potential shrinkage in various parts so we would need the backup even even considering that volks were using good rubber and silicon molds even back in 1999 you you still can't get more than 
a few hundred shots out of a single mold before having to replace it. Wow. Which was probably the size of their limited releases at the time, if you think about it. I think the wasn't the first release fifty dollars. Yeah, I'm... something like that. I don't know whether that was because the mold one of the molds went, or whether it was just a limited release to test the market. That that I would have to look into. Yeah, um, and going back to the initial concept, we went straight from sculpting right into the um, right into the mold making process. Did they sketch their ideas first, or how did they accumulate their ideas of how they wanted this finished doll to look like? Ah, uh, now that requires a bit of speculation, because the yeah. studio is, is a, a relatively closed affair. By the time I arrived, the Super Dolphy existed as a 3D concept, but I did see some of the art, and it looked as if they had originally scaled up the the one six scale Dolphy, which actually created Whoa. something very similar to a Dolphy Dream, hmm. but before before that was greenlit, Shigeta-san himself wanted something that was similar in tone to the German style of porcelain doll. Right. Hence, hence we got something which was a little bit more anthropomorphic, a little more human. Mm. And of course, there's the uh, what what I term the anniversary doll because it was gifted for the anniversary, um, which was sculpted by one of the sculptors, which I have in my notebook. But I think it was Enku, um, and and that was the the predecessor. That was the I guess the in a way, a test visual concept, but I was always under the impression it was more created for personal use. Hmm. Uh, you know, just their own little thing, which then, which the company then took on. Right. They said, that's freaking awesome. Everybody geeked out to m together and then they said, let's sell it. <laughs> now, I I'm hazarding a guess here based on limited information but I do believe Enku liked the Dolphys but didn't like the 1.6 size mm. and so beefed it up and the vice president was in was still well he was still a kid at that time so it must have been Shigeta-san who, who saw it and said we're having it as the story goes the, the wife saw it um and the, the oh. yeah, the, 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 so the story goes, the wife saw it and thought that it would, she was kind of like, there's always all these guys in this gosh darn hobby shop of my husband's. I want there to be ladies that are into hobbies. Um, of course, that was part of the reason for the Dolphies, but um, that that is the Volks branded story of the Dolphy dream. There's also... This is rumor control. These are not necessarily the facts. But mm. Mrs. Shigeta has, I, I think, not exactly a conflict, but I don't think she was ever going to live up to the fact that uh, Maki-san, Matsumoto-sensei's wife, created Rika. She was, pl she, 
the the Volks Dolphys were playing second second fiddle to the second most popular doll in the world. So maybe the Super Dolphy was just a way to one up the Lika. I don't know. <laughs> I hadn't known there was that sort of connection um, in the background between the two sort of the families and the businesses there. In a way, you'll find it's a small community. I mean, uh, they all seem to know each other. That that fits with what I know of how companies work in Japan. I forget all the time how much smaller it is than anywhere else that I've lived. Well, th- think of, think about it. When when Volks opened up, Matsumoto Sensei was visiting the shop quite regularly because he's an aeroplane nut. Right, right. And that's what Volks did primarily: either repackage or make plastic model aircraft. And I think as a sort of token of respect between one and the other, Matsumoto-san allowed Volks to put out one of his uh, aircraft from the cockpit in their Super Wing series. Oh. So there's always been a, like, a sort of polite awareness of each other, if not an engagement as fellow hobbyists. <clears throat> yeah. You know, if, if, if you start a trade war, nobody wins. Therefore, people exactly. are... People here in the business who know the business tend to be cautious about where they compete. Mm. At first, for, for, uh, going back to dolls for a second, I thought it odd that Azone would dare to release a ruler, you know, less than a, a year before Volks put their out, uh, theirs out. Oh. But that they're aiming at different markets, completely right. different markets. Azone right. fans are not Volks fans. Volks fans don't touch the A-Zones with a barge pole, the Obitsus. And aren't the scales right. slightly different in those releases as well? Or am I wrong on that? Uh, they are. That it, It's odd. A-Zones still call them all one-third, but they range from 50 centimeter to 60. And the current ruler coming up is one of the, the, the so-called hybrid 50s. Right. They're actually, the, the hybrids are actually decent dolls better than the old obits of 60s which were about as fragile as glass yes mm. uh it, man, it brings me back to a, a discussion i could have totally had in the other conversation but um yeah one of my <laughs> one of my uh people that i interviewed uh during doll acon actually wrote a webcomic um uh vinyl eyes um resin eyes something like that and she she had one comic particular where she picked up the doll and the top of the doll came with her, but the bottom of the doll just kind of stayed right there. <laughs> the <laughs> spine itself was not bendable in any way, shape, or form, so if you tried to, it would just crack. Um, yep. And I find it interesting to look at all the, the, the Abitsu website, the Abitsu um, A-Zone Etc. website now because um, they're like this is this sort of skeleton with this sort of outside and things like that like they specify who makes the skeleton and who makes the vinyl um, which is very interesting uh, I don't think I've well not that our hobby is so large and expansive as to have many things like this but I haven't seen this kind of collaboration in other areas yet really is the obvious pointing out of it I think, hmm, think is too strong a word. 
I speculate this is because Azone is a relatively small company, even compared to mm. Vault, which is, believe it or not, a relatively small company. Right. Azone has to to do a lot to keep its market presence. They only have two flagship stores. They do a lot of international business. I think they were into the inter, they were into inter, international sales long before vaults were. But though, in fairness, they started with their tiny one eight scale uh, dolls, yeah. which they still they still produce and sell like hotcakes. As opposed to Volks who dump that ship, damn them. <laughs> or maybe, I mean, maybe that's that represents something of the you know the way in which the companies adapt to each other. Right. If you already have uh, someone who's very good in that part of the market, why compete directly with them when you're very strong in a place where they're not strong? Whether or I won't go into political shenanigans between companies, but it's clear if you look at, say, Culture Japan, Volks, and Azone, the three main doll manufacturers, they're all... As, as, as a new player comes in or a new product comes in, everyone adapts to service their key demographic. Right. And each of them sells to their demographic in such a very different way. <laughs> I, no, no disrespect to Danny, but I don't think he's really focused on the Japanese market. For example, it's mm. it's it's hard to get to the shop. It's open at weird hours. He's a nice he's a nice bloke, but I think he recognizes that his main market is overseas. I would agree with you in that, especially in statements he's made very overtly in the branding materials that he puts out on his website about how focused he is on the international customer and. Um, making it so easy and straightforward by making sure you get a full, complete doll when you're sold to you and focusing on the skin tone options that he's giving. And even the, the, the clothing options. So you are able to, if you're, if you feel like you personally would feel awkward or weird having your hair, neck and everything be exposed and wear a hijab in a day-to-day -day basis, your doll can wear one as well. It could be argued that, as a company and as a brand, he's still finding a place. Yeah. But the fact, the fact that he has been able to snatch up some very impressive licenses mean that people here respect what he's doing. Yes. Well, he's had established a connection to sort of the pop culture companies through the ministry of... Um, one, one of the ministries... Um, ministry of I tourism, don't quite remember. Or... I think it's the tourism ministry that he has. A, he's had an official sort of consultant position with before. Ah, he's and worked I can only... Cool Japan, yes. Mm. And I can only imagine that through those connections he's built in acting as a consultant, in um, using um, anime and pop culture as an ambassadorial um, way of changing Japan's relationship to other countries that he's built relationships where he can move in on those licenses. It, it can't have hurt the fact that for 10 years before he started selling, he was essentially the number one Japan vlogger. Yeah. He, oh, was, yeah. The, he was the go-to person after Anime News Network. 
Right, right. I remember when he was more focused on that, how his photography and the way he presented information was just very impressive. And everyone was like, that was where you got news from. Even though the uh, the the actual website for the vlog was very, well, it felt very live journal to go through. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he is coming from a background of working with Amazon and marketing. So I think for a while that was kind of a side thing that grew into his major presence. Yes. Um, so, so back to the creation of these dolls, as we have segued major much, but man, was that good. Oh, so deliciously, um, though. <laughs> you remember my lectures. You know how many sidetracks. So we, we'd, we'd, got as, we'd got as far as creating, as a, mold, mas- creating yeah. a master. Creating a master. And the molds themselves, uh, there were two types. There are, there are single-shot pull fits and two-part molds. Mm. A, sing- a single mold is really just you, you, put, you suspend the part in a void and then surround it with silicon, ease the part out, the silicon will then sort of stretch around it and into that you, you pour parts and pop them out. That, that, that tends to be used for feet uh-huh. and hands. If you buy if you buy an SD and don't get the Satogaidi to remove the seams, you can see which parts that the parts with seams were made with two part molds and the parts without were one shots. Right. More common, however, as as I as I hinted, are two part molds. These tend to be harder, less flexible, but just like just like a, a model making mold for an ABS kit. You have two or three elements that you clamp together, pour the resin in the top, drop in the activator. The whole thing gets to incredible temperatures and uh, 10 minutes later, you've got a rock hard piece of resin. So uh, talking about the molds a little, of course, making a mold is not as simple as just placing your master in the mold and then putting everything around it, you also have to consider where and how fast the the medium is going to go into this mold and where the energy is going to release from all that heat when the the, the resin is activated. Um, Absolutely. And also bubbling and air escapage. Well, let, let's, let's deal with the mold it, mm-hmm. itself first. To cope with the heat, pure, you know, pure silicon molds simply wouldn't work. They're, they're very soft, so... Mm. They tend to be a sort of rubberized silicon, quite softish but hard, and they will mm. t- it, it will take up a lot of heat before it deforms. Now, unless you're trying to to pour fifty gallons of resin in one go, which will probably spontaneously self combust, <laughs> your average your average part won't get much above body temperature, so no problem there. Mm. But the pouring, now there are three ways to do it. There's simple vacuum. You you just pour from above Mm. and hope the bubbles rise to the top. There's vacuum pouring, in which case the, the, the resin is poured and then the part is put into a, a low atmosphere chamber, which will pull 
the air bubbles out of the material before the the exothermic Mm. reaction actually hardens the resin. Mm. And the second is a high pressure. So pour the resin, put the parts into a a, a pressurizer and Mm. the air bubbles will shrink as a consequence to the point that they're no bigger than pinheads. Mm, And at that point, it doesn't matter. Mm. Um, Folks have experimented with all these ways. Is there also like, I've seen vibration tables to try to shake the batter. I almost said batter because I'm thinking about like bubbles in like a pancake batter almost. Mm. Um, Mm. Is there, I think I've seen those sometimes. I've I've seen those in in other small companies like, you know, Essex Miniatures, Wargetter, Forge World, for example, in England, uh-huh. who do who do resin models for the Warhammer line. I've right. seen I've seen vibra beds there, but I I didn't see anything like that at Vaults. But at that time, that sort of technology wasn't around. True, or at right. least not not on the scale that a small company like Vaults could get into. How many? If you look, um... oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, if you look at the early dolls, you will often find pock marks on the insides where where bubble where where the where bubbles had formed. So it's clear that the first gen dolls were being simply gravity poured without any sort of vacuum pressure or vibration, mm. apart from maybe a tap with a hammer here and there. Yeah, it's important to note if you're buying an old, 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 old what is called an old skin Volksdahl, it is common to see things like bubbles and imperfections, especially on the inside of the the resin. They tried to keep the outside pretty clean. Um, the head caps are not going to fit perfectly. There's other little things. But the things that you would almost now associate with what you would think be might be a recast was actually the norm for the original Volksdahls. This is true. One of the one of the, the the little jobs that Naoko, my old boss, had to do, if a doll, if if a part was too badly popped on the surface, too you know too many little bubbles, it was it was just choked. But if there were only one or two, a small amount of resin would be mixed up, dropped into the the pocket, allowed to set, and then before the whole thing was polished and sanded that air bubble would magically disappear that's a lot of attention to detail (laughs) well don't forget they're only me they were making them by hand it it might take several hours to make a single doll that was what i was about to ask is like what was the scale we were working on initially because it really sounds like it's a one-to-one artisan you're not making 16 legs, you're not making 16 bodies at once, you're doing one start to finish. Uh, initially, that, that was the case. Now, of course, they're, with the, the standard dolls, they'll be knocking out dozens at a time. Still only right. dozens, mind you. Because if you go to the website, the standard SDs are often out of stock. Right. Because, of, because they will... Partly, the company is focusing more and more on the the Dolphy Dreams, mm. who you know the production of which can be better automated. But 
mostly it still comes down to the fact that resin casting is still a hands-on affair and 90% of the work comes after the doll comes out of the mold finishing polishing smoothing painting how much time would you say goes into that finishing work because we've talked about going into the mold and pouring the resin and having to do that very very careful inspection of making sure that it's up to the quality standards that they have but when you pull it out of the mold even without satogairi services there's still a bit of a mess in there to clean up oh yes the molds have to be refinished uh, re-greased it's probably 20 to 30 minutes before you're ready to completely reassemble and reuse a mold once a part comes out right and then if you you're... still have the part oh and the part itself even though the part may come out after 20 minutes in the mold it will still have to stand for several hours before it's hard enough to be sanded finished oh that's interesting and of course during this whole process because there was an exothermic reaction with plastics it's off-gassing noxious stuff too right Oh, I it stinks. <laughs> <laughs> and the mold has to cool down as well, I imagine, before you pour in more resin because you don't want the heat activating too early, the um, catalyst. Aye, it depends on the resin they're using. Originally, it was a, a, a straight-up epoxy resin with, mm. uh, with a mineral filler to give the skin color. Now, right. now I, I did a, a cut test on my latest doll. And because it's it's so much softer, I think they've gone to a polyurethane resin, right. which is which which takes which takes color more easily and doesn't yellow as fast. Yeah, which is what that the market was asking for. <laughs> yeah, it's also cheaper. Well, <laughs> right, everybody wins. Yeah, epoxy, yeah. epoxy <laughs> resins are can be. I've I've worked with like small amounts of it in person. It is a pain to deal with compared to when I was working with the polyurethane based. Mm. <laughs> it, it comes up with the most horrible colors as well. It does. Uh, I think it's because epoxy resin tends to be thick and it's more designed as a, a an adhesive. Yeah. So something yeah. like, like Araldite or I don't know what the, the, the analog would be in America. Sort of two part. Oh. Uh, we, we would just call it epoxy adhesive or um, two-part adhesive here, I think. Yeah, I think there's some um, brand names, but I'm not familiar with any of them. But all of them, all of them be, uh, have a working time which is based partly on temperature, as you say, and partly on volume. Mm. When I was, ca uh, I bought like two liters of resin to try and, and mold a bolt pistol for a, a cosplay event. But instead of pouring, as my dad said, do several shots, I thought, but you'll leave seam lines. Nah. Uh, two liters two liters of resin, two liters of hardness oh, into, no. into a bucket. <laughs> it, oh, no. It didn't burst into flames, but, you know, the bucket was starting to melt after about 10 seconds. And then, oh, and then no. a few... A few seconds after that, the, the whole thing just sort of went hard in a flash from the center and domed up as it, as it, as it was expanding. It was the total stupidity on my part. <laughs> but it's like you don't think about it unless you're very familiar with the material you're using. 
about what effect it has of it not being well distributed in the heat and the catalyst and all the rest of it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, 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 even my dad's not a chemist, he's an electrical engineer, but he just mm. looked down at said, and, and like typical Yorkshireman just looked up and said, told you so, lad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so now we got these, uh, the dolls to this finishing part. Um, we, we went over the amount of time to cast it versus the amount of time to finish it is, uh, very minimal on the casting time, very maximum on the finishing time. Uh, what was the staffing like for this finishing process? Was it one person really focusing on one doll or was it one person working on the legs, passes it to the next person kind of thing? It was, it was station by station. There must have been, there could have been no more than 15 people in the studio at total though. Right. But then the real labor was the handoff to the face-up artist, but we can get to that later. Yeah, um, so obviously the, the, the last thing I think I want to touch on on the, the this whole creating the resin part is where do things go wrong and what do you do when they go wrong? We went over the pockmarks on the outside. It, I think nowadays, as far as volume is concerned on some companies, if they saw a pockmark on the outside, it would get the hammer and they thrown in the trash. Um, but they painstakingly at the time filled them and sanded them. Um, hmm. But what, where else could things go wrong? If the mold itself isn't banded properly, <laughs> the resin will just seep out. Now, Ooh. if you can imagine that the mold has several uh, vents to the surface to allow... Sprues? Yes, yeah, very much, very much like runners, so that as the the resin is poured in, every part gets filled and, and no air pockets are allowed to form. Or at least mm. there's always a vent for them. But because of that, the moulds are clamped uh, with a straight two-face clamp if it's, in, if it's a two-part mould or a ring clamp if it's a three-part. If they're not tightened properly, the resin will just escape between the cracks. That's a big mess. <laughs> That, that, that is a big mess. Another is getting the mixture wrong. Too much hardener and you you might start getting you might start getting a reaction in the middle of a pour. Oh. Too a uh, too little hardener and it just will never go off. I can't imagine the I'm not sure if I was an artist if I in in a, in a group setting like this in Japan if I would go for some very colorful words. Or if I would find the calmest, most benign way to say this went terribly wrong, I hate my life right now. <laughs> in in fairness, uh, I myself never saw a disaster. I don't think I don't think that would have been possible with the dis the dispenser systems they had for different parts. Mm. It, if you can imagine at a bar, an optic for a spirit. I don't know whether that's a peculiarly British thing or... I oh, think... um, uh, uh, the, the... I know what you're referring to. I can't remember the American word for it either. <laughs> the, bo the, bo the bottles are all hung upside down and you just push it and it delivers a pre-measured amount. Yeah, yeah. I kind of have this idea. I think when I, when I think about this, I think about absinthe and the, the dispensers that you see them in 
in advertisements and fancy, fancy bars. I guess a good analog. So, if you imagine you're going to, you've got your two pots, you're going to the dispenser, you're making a leg for Megu that has an amount of resin, which corresponds with a number on the dispenser. You mm. dial it up, press the button, the exact amount of resin pops out, do the same with the hardener, do the same with the colouring agent, and when the time is right, mix it all together and pour. Very nice. That wow. does help minimise issues. Um, you were about to mention one other one other failure point, unless you can't remember it at this moment. <laughs> oh, that was colour. Yes. Uh. So, uh, color was color c- could be added either as a mineral pigment. Now, this this is relatively simple, but anything that's added to the resin, which is not either the resin itself or the catal- or the catalyst, will slow down the reaction and alter it, alter the consistency of the final product. It can also clump so that you get a sort of patchy finish. And if you remember, some of the early the uh, SDs had patchy and discoloured parts sometimes. Like the, the head would not be quite the same colour as the, the legs, or the hands would not be the same colour as the arms. Right. Yeah, it's hard for me to say this because I did not witness those dolls when they were new. I witnessed those dolls when they were about seven years to ten years old. (laughs) So at that point, they had all about yellowed just the same. Mm. So that's that's a bit of information that I don't think I had. Um, That also reminds me of how it took so long for them to come out with darker colors because that means the pigments are more concentrated. There's more of them to resin. And we can see here why that's an issue. It's also what the pigments are made from and whether they they are inert or whether they are reactive with the resin itself. It's one of the reasons why it's taken so long to get a decent dark vinyl doll as well, by the way. Right. Uh, And when Danny first wants to put Harmony out, the only dark pigment he could find was more like a dark elf grey than a than an ebony mm. and, and mm. I, th- I think that has been corrected this year yes we, we should have har- we should have, have harmony back with a more with a more appropriate color soon not to say that some human beings don't have that other color but it's not what we usually associate with a dark-skinned lady I've seen I've seen all different sorts of shades in fact there's this one beautiful um, model who's known as being so ridiculously dark it's like it's amazing to see um she is a gorgeous person yeah she's if you if you just if you google something along those lines you'll see her and she is beautiful and it is visually stunning because she has an incredibly deep dark skin tone so much so much melanin um melanin am i saying this right (laughs) melanin Mm -hmm. okay cool (laughs) My my brain just had and, a moment. 
I am actually getting to the tired part of the day now. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, after we've gone through the process of making sure by hand, mold by mold, making sure everything comes out properly, in the finishing section, I imagine because of the shape of the object we're dealing with, you can't automate the polishing and cleaning and sanding that goes on next. Nope. All by hand even now. Yeah. First first step is a I wouldn't call it a knife. It's 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 a curved tool which is mm. drawn down along the seam to remove the bulk of it. And then you the the artist goes in with ultra fine grit and polishes wet. I mean maybe well, I I couldn't tell you the actual grit but they got mountains of Tamiya paper all over the place. Right. <laughs> or at least they had. And probably, hopefully, face masks as well. I, I do believe that or Tamiya... Or ventilated stations. I do, yes, believe, you that, do not... believe that Tamiya is still the sandpaper that's sold directly from the Volk store, so that probably tells us something. But yes, aggressive dust is toxic. <laughs> <laughs> and the worst part about it is it's... Uh, what's the word? Like arsenic, a residual poison. It just builds right. up and builds up until it's too late. Yeah, it, it it comes to stay and it doesn't leave. It's not something your body processes. So yeah, there, there is dangers there. So, I mean, granted, most of the Volks had been working in resin before, so they actually had a lot of this knowledge. Especially with health and safety regulations here being draconian to say the least right yay sometimes oversight by the state is a good thing (laughs) by the insurance by the insurance company oh yeah right well when you're when you're storing huge amounts of of resin and working with potentially well if i said carcinogenic someone might sue me for slander but let's say toxic Mm. substances your insurance company is going to want a hell of a premium that's very true. And you don't want to have to ever have to lean on that if you can't help it. I think now, though, by by now, it's it's down to a fine art. Mm. I, mean, I, I would like to go to some of the other companies, especially in Korea and China, Taiwan, yeah. because they seem to be able to produce at a much faster rate or they have a large enough workforce to be able to keep things in stock because... Obviously, for, for example, Ringdoll, uh, mm. when I ordered the car 98, that did take three months to arrive. But the doll before that, the you know, the Dracula and the Carmilla, they arrived within days. So they clearly right. must have stocks of certain things. Absolutely. And if you look at Lutz, where all of their models are, are on offer all of the time outside of their limited releases. Like they, I've never seen them really stock out of their basic dolls line. Whereas with Volks with their three basic standards, they go out all the time. Aye. Now that I suspect is because the production facilities and costs and cost of land in Japan is so much higher. Yeah. Last, the last time I spoke to Ringdoll two years ago at Acom, they were talking about expand, you know, expansion. And, and fair enough, maybe you can do you can do that where in a place where land price is relatively low. Mm. 
and you're still charging. I, I didn't ask what their margins were, but I do think they have much better margins than Volks. I'd imagine with the difference in expected pay rate and the workforce available compared to what's required by law if you're full-time in Japan. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. Especially for... Uh, I want to say, well, not professional, but talented people. Right. Art, people you know, who have artists, skill and experience. The, the people who do the, the chemistry for Volks could easily get good money working in industry doing the same job but making industrial parts. So they, mm. I, they didn't, you know, e- even the shop staff get paid well. Though I, I, I did it more for the discounts. <laughs> that is always a nice side bonus when you're working at a specific store that does a specific thing. <laughs> the, one, the one downside was you weren't allowed to participate in lotteries. Or, uh, yes. Oh, that makes sense. Or buy any limiteds. Because, mm. you know, reasons. Right. Right. Like, perceive favors and I, yeah. I wonder if yeah. that I wonder if that was because something similar happened to the the oh, I think it was the MI scandal. MI uh, was a model company that ma- that made a huge range of macros kits in the the eighties, and the, oh. the the staff were basically given models and were just quite happily selling them cheaply at comic <laughs> markets in oh dear. to bulk up their income. Mm. I, I, I didn't think Volts wanted that happening when you know when when you've given 20% discount to a staff member the next thing the last thing you want to see is that staff member shifting it on Yahoo to Fortune. Oh yeah. I mean conversely it's for the the same reason uh it, we had this thing happen within I don't know the last 10 years here. It was McDonald's, and they every year they have their um, their monopoly uh, little sweepstakes here, which the employees are not allowed to uh, do any surveys or participate in sweepstakes, and neither are their families actually. Um, but someone but actually access yes. But if you're familiar with this game, and if you've ever tried to do it, you get a little little sheet that they give you with the game board and it's almost like uh in japan if you're going from uh shrine to shrine in a way and you get your little stamps well it's like that except you get your little stickers and you put it on park place and reading reading railroad and etc and you always get every single one except the last one in the set because that's actually how they relegate their their winnings that there's only so many of that last one of the set made well somebody at the you know factory making these things sat there and found the ones that were winners and they actually after this whole thing happened and they figured this out they re-ran the entire promotion again <laughs> oh. mm. yeah so, oh no so so for reasons like that <laughs> and reputation so important especially in a japanese market and I and I think primarily that is the reason why Volks still continue this hands-on, craft-based, long-term approach to the manufacturing of the Super Dolphys. Mm. 
So even though the consumer doesn't see the process going on, they have enough photographs and literature and they know that every step of the way it is a person involved in the manufacture of their doll, especially if you're going via the full choice system. Right. For full choice, full choice has their own production line, their own set of molds, their own materials, their own staff. They get an extra level of care. Right. There's always such an emphasis in Volks about how individual what they do is, especially with full choice, how there's just this very personal handoff of each step of the way with somebody there being the person guiding you through so you always feel like you're handed off in good hands. <laughs> your angel, born from your heart, made just for you. <laughs> you. I mean, that's not just good old, you know, hyperbole. The service yeah. you get at any of the doll points for a full choice is excellent, but if you're, if you're lucky enough to to be able to do it down at the homeland, down in Kyoto. Mm. The full choice system as run there takes twice as long. Really? Now, now all the shops have the various books and the unique heads. And the the last one I did at uh, Akihabara Mm. last year, it took about an hour to go through the whole process of, you know, choosing the the feet, the legs, the body type, all the way up to, or maybe, maybe half an hour to assemble the body from the book, and then another half hour discussing the face-up. Mm. But down at Kyoto, when I did my the, the third FCS I did, they had dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of heads available with different types of face up on them and the oh. the last was talking about you know so you want this type of lip with this type of blushing and this type of eyebrow <laughs> you ordered your fcs in a much different manner than i did i walked in and i knew exactly <laughs> each and every single part that was going into the doll and what color each thing was going to be and for the face i just said like a young sprightly girl as the artist wants. <laughs> there's there's a only a language barrier, but... <laughs> there, there, there's a lot to be said for that. Uh, the, two do- the two FCS that I assembled, they still look great. But the two that I didn't know how to create were based on characters. One, is, of course, is Queen Millennia. And the other mm. one... The other one uh, well, Alexandra has her now. That one was Harlock. So it was, uh, I just want Captain Harlock. I just want Queen Millennia. Can you do that? And they did it. And I think there's there's a lot to be said to to leaving these choices to the artist because if they're if they're trying to live up to the expectations you have, they're not working at their best. If right. you if you leave a good artist to work work on their own, they know their craft. You can trust them. Yeah, if you give them a concept and say have this feeling, um, that they're pretty pretty good. 
Well, remember that little, remember that little Tudor ghost. That was one of that. That was another one of those. You know, make it up as you want. I, I, I just want a, I just want a ghost. And she came back with those wonderful little mermaid ears and the, the, the violet and white skin. Yes, the I violet was I, very striking. I couldn't have dreamed that up. Yeah. Uh, so we're back actually talking about the, the face up and painting the faces. So um, we're, we're into the, the final a, a bit of the finishing process. Obviously, the wigs are pre-made and uh, things like that. But how long does just painting the face for a Volk's face up artist at that time period, how long would that have taken? Well, that's, an, that's an odd one. That could That could take a day. You know, no wow. joke. That could take a day in itself to prep, coat, and then at the time it was fine airbrushing and painting with like brushes with two bristles. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned very briefly the idea of prep. Um, it's very important to clean off resin because of the uh, the release agents on it. Um, and also just any sanding that you might have done in the process, that'll, that'll ruin the bonding between the, uh, the initial c coat or your paints and the, the resin. So if you goof up that prep process, you also will have to start your one day of face up all over again. <laughs> yes, indeed. But ice, an isopropyl alcohol wash will take care of any release agent. But resin does leach over time. Right. And it's one of the reasons I suspect why FCS takes so long. Because once once they've been cured, they stand for a, a good long time before they're cleaned. And then they stand again and then they're cleaned again. Because from oh. from the resin itself material of some sort will escape up to up to a few days after it's created so i, I can't blame volks for making sure this is all settled before handing off to the face of artists and i think the slowest i've ever seen um uh, fcs weight is around a month now now it's more like 90 days but that's more to do with the that's more to do with the the popularity than it is the actual manufacturing time. The waiting list is long. When I was looking at waiting times, it was I don't know a decade ago. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> but if you if you're lucky, if you're lucky and go at the right time of year, which is to say either not at the holidays when I tend to do it because that's when I get a bo that's when I get my bonus. Yeah, not mm. during Golden Week, noted. Not, not during Golden Never Week. Never going to go to during Golden Week. <laughs> the the, the best, the best time is just after Christmas when no one's got any money left. Oh. <laughs> after New Year, you might be lucky to get you might four to six weeks. Especially Ooh. if you're, especially if you're going for one of the standard heads, which won't have, which won't have to be brought out of store to be recast for example the head i used for millennia mm. that apparently not only had to have the mold brought out but the original tool brought out to make a mold so they could make the head 
which took... Oh, wow. Wasn't she the F-40? I think so. I cannot remember. Oh, I'd I'm have been to, dying I'd, to I'd, see I'd, a picture of this millennia, by the way. I would love to see it at some point. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the F-40, which was actually one of the ones that I was... In, in that time when Tempest was debodied and in flux, I was thinking of reshelling her in the into the uh, F-40. We have to do an episode oh, on yeah. reshelling. <laughs> we really do. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me write that down. Gosh darn it, where did I put my pen? <laughs> Quickly, rat grabs notebooks. <laughs> I have no idea where I put my pen. Oh, shucks. I use that for work. Uh-oh. Um, hey, Becca. I just, as you're looking for it, I wanted to remind myself what the F-40 looked like. And I found this link, and I'm like, oh, this is Neo... A- oh, it's our website! <laughs> Oops. Yes. It's Nino Bingo's Neo Angel Den, that where I conveniently found pictures so I can remind myself of what that looks like. Yes, because I don't believe that was actually... It was either only a single photo in the old one, or um, not mentioned at all. Was, I think that oh, was that one of the ones... Oh, that is a perfect skull for a millennia, looking at her eye shape. I can see why you really wanted to go with that one. So, so finally, this painting is done, and of course, uh, you have to wait between the layers to paint and everything else, and finally, you have a doll that is ready to sell. Um, of course, selling the dolls was a little different then than it is now for, um, for uh, Volks. Uh, because we're talking about a moment in time, it, it should be... Should be maybe we should talk a little bit about, about at that time passing that doll on to the customer how that would have worked. Uh, I worked at the pokey little Sandamia shop, and there was there was no back then there was no full choice system offered at that place. It was just standard mm. dolls, and there was no ceremony. No, it was like. Box, doll, money, gone. Right. If you went to Kyoto, however, even from the very beginning, the the adoption chamber had this these the had, had wonderful diaphanous curtains and a cradle at the very centre and it was round and you'd have two members of staff standing either, you know, side by side and a wonderful prepared script. I can see people liking that because it really is the birth of something. Yeah, I mean, it it might not have taken nine months to make, but it certainly take, I don't know, at least one month to make. <laughs> and who knows how many artisan hours. Yeah, and all the training that goes into the artisans and not including all the hours that was spent on all the ones that were, I don't know, broken mistakes, learning projects, um, prototypes. And all of that. And engineering knowledge and chemical engineering knowledge. Oh, mm. yes. So, the, the moral of this podcast um, <laughs> is, yes. Not to go too high on our horses, but there's so much that goes into every step of these processes. From the artistry conception to the hours of sculpting to the highly paged and trained engineers dealing with caustic substance potentially dangerous substances to the artisans working at the table to painting on the face taking at least a day sometimes to even just waiting like several days to let the uh resin weep out whatever remnants it may have it 
takes a while to make a doll, and it takes a while to make a really nice doll that will last a and really long time. And it takes a lot time. of people to do both. Yes. So this isn't something to consider when you look at the prices of the doll hobby, because they are prohibitively high. They are. But they also represent all this work that goes into making just one doll. Just because it's resin doesn't mean it doesn't take as much time in artistry as something in porcelain or in wood or any other time in history when people have seen a new product come along and go, oh, it's easy to make it with that. That's not as valuable. But it's never that simple. No. No. It's never as simple as you think it is. And and as silly that as something going into a, a, a Mattel's workshop nowadays and seeing the Barbies being pumped out probably one after another the the original barbie was probably a much slower process um oh yeah and... even the original even the original gi joe was hand painted yeah oh really cuz it's cool. oh cuz the small work was like we didn't have the machinery for small tiny pieces like that did we oh. but now you go and look at if you look at Danny Danny Chu's video on how he does face up, it's not even painting mm. it. It's some sort of electro plating yeah. with uh, masks and airbrushes. It's it's almost fully it's almost automated. Yeah, basically yeah, the only there's a mask that goes on, there's a human that applies the airbrush and then the mask is removed. So it's e I suppose it's easy for people of our of our generation, younger people of our generation who are used to the rampant automization of the world as a whole to mm. look at things like this and say that was probably just done on a, a, a press. The last right. place I worked for before I came to Japan was a company called Tekaprint uh, who used uh, silicon rubber pads to be able to, be able to to print 3D objects. If you look at the A-Zone dolls, their faces are now printed, not decals. Hmm. Now, oh. of course, you can do that. Their eyes are molded into their heads. Hmm. And that's one of the reasons they are so cheap, is because the face can, you know, the, the head can be done in one big shot. Right. So it's, it's easier for, the, for, for, pe for people who are used to that level of automization to look at a super dolphin and say, nah, it's just the same. Well, it isn't the same. Mm. He sounds very stubborn and reckless and so on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yes, they come from molds, but no, they are not mass produced. Each one, there's a level of artistry and skill that's still super required considering the medium that they're in and the results you get. Like, Azo might be able to print their faces, but they don't have the depth of color or the level of artistry or diversification that we see in other companies, not just folks, who <laughs> are sticking back to those older, like, older techniques isn't even really the word for it, to different techniques for different mediums. Just even thinking about animation, uh, one of the most gorgeous scenes I can think of, or several gorgeous scenes, was in the Disney Fantasia movie. There was essentially semi-transparent cells that were painted for things like the fish's tails and the um, little seeds. 
that they had to paint and paint consistently so it didn't look like it was moving. Transparent cells, which is just mind-boggling. And that's essentially kind of like what you're doing on a Dolphy's face is the different gradients of colors and things like that. It's a lot of time. There might be a time when when technology can produce a similar or a like effect, like Danny Chu's um, um, masks and airbrushing effects, but there's also a certain amount of charm to looking at a doll and understanding that, yes, it was actually painted by hand. Mm. So, and and there's also like um, one thing I would like to address briefly, which goes outside of the time period we've been talking about, which is in the early 2000s, is that nowadays we have a lot of companies moving into using 3D modeling and computers to aid them in the sculpting and designing processes. But that does not mean that has cut down on the amount of time it takes to make a single product. Um, Darren, do you have any experience at all with like the 3D printing engaged side of like what we see now that might deceptively seem faster? <laughs> Which is a bit of a leading question to phrase it that way. but Well, I mean... I, I got a 3D printer myself. I, I use it not for making models, but for for, for testing how elements will look. Mm. That that's how, for example, Danny uses his to create not finished pieces but masters. Mm. And Volks do the same thing with their SWS, their Super Wing series. When, you know, that when they are replicating those incredibly detailed aircraft they sell everything right. you know the original mass the the original pieces are scanned from surviving aircraft then modified or, or, or blueprints mm. then 3d then 3d prototyped modified and then sent off for machining to go into the original pieces it speeds the whole process up 20fold wow because um, you can do a lot of adjusting, I assume. I yeah, pre precisely on scale on. Because otherwise, you would have to make a master, see if it worked, adjust it, make another one, adjust it, make another one. All the way down the line, and when a puck. Let, let let's drift away from dolls for a second. If you look at something like their flagship, Horton. Model makers mm. will know what that is. That's that's 250 parts on eight Oof. runners, each wow. one having to be perfect. Without without the ability to rapid prototype, such kits would not be, you know, hundred dollars. They'd be five hundred dollars. Right. Um, coming back to the dolls, um, one of the uh, people that I interviewed at Doll Acon of uh, Sweet Dolls. Um, they, they were recently working on a prototype of uh, basically improving one of their fairy dolls. Um, Catherine, uh, was working on this and, uh, she was actually, doesn't have the 3d printer herself, but sculpts and then sends it out. And the benefit of this is that the company then went back and said, there's a problem in your print. You need to fix this one little area. And she goes, oh, okay. And then she fixes it and then it works. And they can even say this when they it's going to go for resin 
Like you can print it out, look at it and say, hey, this is going to be resin in this area. It's not going to pour well, or this is not going to be thick enough or all that stuff before you ever even touch resin or touch a mold. Mm -hmm. uh, you can 3D print it and look at it, which is very, very cool. <laughs> yeah. But even then, making the thing still requires the same level. Like, things are getting faster and more accurate. But that human artist you touch is still consistent, it seems. At least in the way Volks wants to keep themselves going. Ah, so, as we hit around an hour, I think, of our wonderful program, I think it's about time for us to wrap up here. Um, so, uh, Darren, where can they... Uh, they find some of your work on the wonderful interweb uh modeling work or oh anything you want to show uh mo my model reviews can be found on hobby link japan tv my academic work is usually is best found at the phoenix papers the acon academic conference mm. wonderful uh, and of course, us, we, which is Ningyo Bingo, N-I-N-G-Y-O-B-I-N-G-O. -O. Uh, you can find us at Twitter. Our email is at gmail.com. We have a blog spot, Facebook, website, and YouTube. Yahoo! <laughs> We're going to make a song eventually. Uh, well, like, I keep, like, wanting to, like, make, like, a theme song and be like B-I-N-G-O, but N-I-N-G-Y-O doesn't quite... Fit. It doesn't track. It doesn't it, it, scan very well. No, it rhymes, but it doesn't. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it doesn't scan. But we love comments. We want to hear what people want to hear um, about, and we definitely read every single thing you guys ever send us. Um, the few folks who we've had some sort of long back and forth with, in particular, we always really enjoy hearing from you and taking ideas from what you would like us to talk about and seeing questions you have. Especially with a resource like Dr. Um, Professor Darren Ashmore, who is obviously full of a wealth of information. We'd love to have more topics that we could potentially talk to him about and take horrible advantage of his kind kindness of coming on and talking with us as well. Yes, so he's... if you have anything you want to tell us, please do. Yes, thank, thank you once again, Darren, for sacrificing a... Uh, sacrificing? I'm not sure if that's the right word, but, but uh, volunteering. <laughs> Lending us? <laughs> volunteering a Sunday morning to record this episode and the last one. It's been my pleasure. Now, to the shops! Yes! yes. <laughs> if only I could run out into the dark and do that myself. Yes, so remember, as you have a newfound appreciation for what goes into your resin-lovely dollies, and you run out into the dark to shop, <laughs> screaming, please hold that plane. Remember, <laughs> that's at least in my case. To keep on collecting dolls. To keep a budget. <laughs>